Hi, my name is Elizabeth Chodos. I am the director of the Miller Institute for Contemporary Art, and welcome to our podcast series. This is a first in a number of podcasts we'll be publishing on our website. I'm here today with artist Carrie Schneider, who has her solo exhibition, Reading Women, in our space. It was the inaugural show for the Miller Institute for Contemporary Art. I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk more about the project and your work and to hear from you about sort of your inspirations and your thoughts about what motivates you to make your work and where it all comes from. So one of the things that I really respond to in your work, particularly with the Reading Women series, is that it is a series. You repeat this gesture over and over a hundred times of filming and photographing women reading books that of their choice by other women. And for me, the sort of repetitive component of it layers the meaning of the project. So the same sort of gesture, but in each iteration, there's a, a world of complexity and difference and variety. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts about the role of repetition and seriality and, and how that's connected to your practice. Yeah, great. Thanks for the question. I think there's a lot of different things that I could say about seriality. I think photography in particular lends itself to being seen in a series, I think, because of the, the nature of the medium and kind of historically the way early performance artists using photography would create a series of mm. Uh, photographs because that's how the the film negatives showed up on, on the roll. Like that's something that I just think is kind of the medium begs for this type, type of seriality. And I think the way that that translates into my work and specifically in reading women, I think initially I didn't set out to make a body of work of 100 photographs. It seems very bombastic to just like <laughs> set, you know, to have, have that as a goal. I think initially I thought maybe like, you know, what would what would eight or 10 or 12 look like? And I think I just really, really loved the process of sitting with people mm. while they were doing something that they loved. I, I, it just kind of kept going. And then I eventually had to cap it at 100 because I was like, this could go on forever and maybe I want it to. Um, but I think it, it just like, I had to kind of stop it somewhere and 100 seemed like a natural number to do that at. But I, I you know, I think there is something about that happens when you're you're seeing works that are in a series are meant to be seen together. There are these resonances that are created when things are repeated. Mm. There are like I think other kind of finer details start to emerge as being different or kind mm -hmm. of unique. Mm -hmm. And so each each woman sitting in her own home or studio, you kind of get to see the like the accoutrement of their activity, you yeah. know, kind of all of these things that then kind of help fill in information about who they are or where they are their situation or the the moment in history that this was photographed I think maybe in 30 years yeah. these will look very his right. historical in a way and it's something that's interested me for a long time of thinking about series and and not just having repetition for the sake of I guess maybe just searching for cognitive differences like it's mm. not just like kind of that cognitive excitement of seeing difference, mm. you know, it really is kind of like mm. an attempt to get at some human quality of yeah. choice and difference. Yeah. I like that you're drawing out this connection 
with um, performance and performativity and document and that documentariness of a, of a photograph. And it makes me think of some of your other work, particularly the Burning House series, where you burn a house over and over and you actually do it. You know, you resist the... Um, what might have been less a laborious process of photoshopping or model, creating a small model, but you, it's a performance of this building, this labor of creating a house and, and burning it. And mm. I'm, I'm interested to hear you talk a little bit about your decision-making around the actual performance and, and actually doing it as opposed to creating the image in a studio or in a artificial environment where... Hmm. Maybe you could get something that looks similar, definitely not identical, but right. You don't have to go out into an island, build a house, burn it, and then do it again. And I, how many times did you, uh, did you do that? I did it a dozen times. A dozen. Yeah. Yeah. Over two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. I think I wanted in, in my mind, I was in conversation with some early performance artists and, and land artists. Like I was reading a lot of the writings of Robert Smithson. Mm. His, that collection of his writings had come out like in maybe like 2008 or 2010 when I first started thinking about making this body of work. And I just really felt like I needed to make some big gesture in a landscape and kind of, mm. I, I just really needed to, to do that in a kind of a very physical way. I needed to be able to build that structure on my own and mm. to be able to lift it myself and carry it myself, even though in the end I didn't have people assist me. But I think in, initially it was important that I, that physical scale was something that I could manage on my own or that I made myself. I don't know, really, uh, you know, I think in the end doing, doing something like this in, in nature and kind of mm. having this kind of impossibly like constantly burning house mm. be the constant mm. in this ever-changing environment, mm. I think it, that became the drama of the project. And I think sometimes it's, it's complicated to talk about that because I feel like that gets like into the realm of romanticism or something. Mm. Like suddenly I'm thinking about like Monet's like Rouen Cathedral of like, Right. studying something at different times of day, quality of light and shadow. And I think that that's kind of what emerged for me from, from making that project is like, I actually had someone ask me, you're going, you're going back again. Aren't you afraid you're going to get the same image? Oh. I, again, I said, no, cause it's <laughs> always, it's always different. And I right. think that's just like my experience yeah, I have a lot of respect for the natural environment, but I think also specifically that was shot in rural north central Wisconsin. And right. I think this Midwestern landscape is something that is really underrecognized as mm-hmm. being like really subtly beautiful. And um, yeah, I kind of wanted to just exist in that for a little while. And the, yeah. making that project gave me an excuse. Yeah. I mean, I can't help but think a little bit about the idea of like the Roland Barthes idea that death is inherent in every photograph in the mm-hmm. sense of like thinking about how that landscape is never the same when you take the picture. Mm-hmm. And, but there's this document, there's this capture of mm-hmm. this moment that will never exist again. And you can hold on to it mm-hmm. through photography, but, um, inherent in that process is 
capturing something that is is ephemeral, is impermanent, is going to change it. And much like you were thinking and talking about the Reading Women series and what looks very contemporary and clothes and furniture and other accoutrement of the, you know, every day will look really dated as time passes. But we sort of hold, you know, you sort of hold that moment. It's really kind of a lovely, a lovely thought. And I'm thinking you know, a little bit about, you mentioned with the Reading Women series too, this uh, cognitive experience, this cognitive joy of seeing, you know, this this repetition. And it makes me think a little bit about your background in getting a degree in both psychology and fine art from CMU, where we are now, and thinking about the relationship. For me, the read of your work is is deeply psychological, that a burning house has is layered symbolically, emotionally with so many kind of different components. And I'm curious to hear you you sort of reflect on your education here and how that does or does not relate to the work and Mm. that connection sort of between the psychological and the fine arts. Mm. Yeah, when I was an undergrad at Carnegie Mellon from uh, 1997 to 2001, I got a dual degree, a Bachelor of Humanities and Arts um, in fine art and psychology. In my uh, fine art, I was mostly focusing on painting and then photography. And and then psychology, I was really interested in cognitive psychology, but then also specifically developmental psychology. And I think at the time, I wasn't really sure how those things were overlapping, how the my studies in psychology really influenced my, my art making. But I do think there you know, there is a real psychological thread in my, my work. And I think there maybe that does have a lot to do with photography and performance and kind of wanting to maybe, for lack of a better word, you know, illustrate a psychological state. Mm-hmm. But I think the my experience in the Department of Psychology here was very, it was, it was very research-based. Mm-hmm. It was really pretty scientific, really cognitive. And I think that there is an element of that in my work as well. I don't, I think the, like the scientific process or having to kind of make a proposal and then find evidence to support this, Mm. you know, and kind of conducting research and kind of being thorough, kind of all these, these aspects of kind of conducting humanities research that that was, was something that that is maybe more what I'm, I was connected to rather rather yeah. than thinking about like Freud or Lacan or something, you know, that, yeah. that was something that wasn't discussed in my psychology classes here. Mm-hmm. It was, that was more discussed in my film classes right. in the College of Fine Arts. It's interesting to think about that it reflected more in the process than mm. the content. Yeah. Um, well put. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, the seriality and the, mm. the going back mm. and, and that that is such a, a tool of research, mm. right? To repeat an experiment mm. or to, you know, sort of draw out all the complexities by this like act of return and reevaluation and how a photo is a document, a data point almost, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and how that relates to your practice of really um, documenting a real thing mm-hmm. as opposed to photoshopping something and fabricating it in that realm. You, it's a document of a real phenomenon, whether mm-hmm. or not that's of your own construction, it's, mm-hmm. it's still re- really happened. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting to think about because yeah, for your, for me, 
when I think of psychology, I do think of, you know, the Freud and the Kahn and Jung, and I think about the layers of symbols and how in a lot of your work, you really are able to create a type of dream space or uncanny uh, discomfort through simple gesture. The project you did with your brother, you do very simple things. You stand very close to your brother in a convenience store mm-hmm. looking at cereal mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the sentence, you know, you describe <laughs> yeah. it. It sounds not that weird. It's, yeah. it's pretty normal. But when you look at the picture, there is just, um, there is just such this deep psychological and uneasiness Mm -hmm. um, to that work. And so I often associate your work with that, but it's nice to think about the the psychology aspect being more process-based than than related to the content. That's so, yeah, I I think it's really interesting to kind of draw that out now because it's been a question in my mind for a couple couple of decades. But (laughs) yeah, I think that, you know, in making that body of work with my brother over 10 years ago now, I was thinking about performance and I was thinking about kind of creating this state of mind or the state of being and kind of testing it against different scenarios in the real world. Mm. So that was Mm. the way that I was phrasing that process to myself right so I think in a way that is very scientific it's very scientific and so I would talk about it in in that way but that doesn't I mean that's not usually seen alongside that work but you're right I think it to kind of describe those photographs in words like I could never tell people what I was making because it doesn't sound like anything and I think that's sort of also the point is that we would dress in the same clothes and then I would stand really closely behind him and like mimic his gesture. And it doesn't sound like much, but I think visually and just like the way it felt was it really kind of pushes against taboo. It really does. I mean, there is something that is very uncomfortable about them that um, I think it's hard to put your finger on. Yeah. And I think you do that quite a lot in your work where you identify what is otherwise a simple gesture, either through repetition or through composition, you sort of reveal the sort of unseen social forces around these types of relationships or dynamics. What is so special about a woman reading a book authored by a woman in her own home? Like when you say the sentence, it seems like a simple gesture. When you see the image, when you see the image repeated, when you start to reflect on the meaning of that and the sort of broad implications of what we read, how our worlds are defined by what we read, who gets to write, who gets to be canonized, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. These simple gestures draw out all of those complexities. One thing I wanted to talk to you also about your work was um, the connection between the moving image and the still image. You are a photographer, you're a filmmaker, you often document both of your uh, the Reading Women series uh, as you were taking the photographs you were also filming the Moon Project uh, has both of those components many of your other series do as well mm-hmm. so I'm curious about your thoughts around those two different formats and what and what they offer your work mm-hmm. I mean maybe at times it feels like a little bit of a, a lack of decision you know I kind of like I'm very curious about this Thing. I often think of my, my work as being in this realm of performance. I often start with that thing that's going to be performed, mm-hmm. and then I 
am not sure what it would look like or if this would be anything if I photographed or filmed this. And so I think I'm kind of experimenting, you know, making the burning house photographs. Mm. I was like, I have no idea what this is going to look like. I don't know if I can do this more than one time, if this is crazy. Like the first three or four times I made the burning house, I was like, I don't know what this is going to be. And when I first started shooting the reading women work, I was also simultaneously shooting video but I didn't think I would use it I was just like accumulating terabytes and hours and hours and hours Mm. of footage of people reading I didn't know what I would end up doing with it and I think the process of making that work kind of illuminated to me you know the the material I responded to it you know I used it as material to create something Mm. but I think initially I didn't know what I would do with it I'm just really curious the way that something performed or some kind of visual phenomenon could be experienced in both mm-hmm. the still image and a moving image. I think mm-hmm. photography, I mean, it's just kind of like this very ripe moment that is full. It mm-hmm. is just kind of suggests a mm-hmm. narrative and it just, I think there is something about like, a, I think there's a, a Baudrillard quote about how the stillness is like the, it's like the opposite of stillness. Actually, it's kind of like this kind of mm-hmm. full impossibility. There's just something just so, psychologically there's just like an enigma about seeing this still image that um just can be so provocative and versus moving image where it just becomes like evidence you know like this flow of time I think kind of suggests over and over again its veracity in a way that it's evidence but then it's also impossible and I think like the when you're showing the same thing as moving image it has like this different the experience is so different even if you're kind of uh, representing the same thing so I think that that tension between those the the media is just something that is so fascinating to me I feel like I'm just like even kind of working it out here but I yeah I'm not sure and I think it's something that will continue to interest me in my work the richness between those two formats is is really fascinating to think about especially when you're, you're using the same subject or the same moment, particularly around, because when we were talking, what I'm starting to think about is um, the different experience of an object, which a photograph then also kind of becomes this object, Hmm. and a film, which is uh, dematerialized, Mm time-based. I mean, it it is the material of the film, especially if you're not working digitally, and, Mm -hmm. and that materialness has like this really tangible quality or real perceptual quality you can really sense it but Mm. it is a really different treatment of time one Mm. where it holds so much in the moment and one that is unfurling and moving and voracious and relentless and Mm. continue you know sort of this continuum as opposed to um a pause yeah Mm. um is there anything that you wanted to cover that we didn't talk about or things about your work that feel like where you're heading now and, and projects you're working on now yeah, my well, my one of my current projects that I'm working on is an extension of the Reading Women project, right. and so it's it's something that I've been working on. Or I'm I've proposed to ask the living authors that my friends read in the previous project to read for me. So wow. to ask Lucy Lepard right to sit and read for me a book of her choice written by a woman author, and I think for me that that's a way of further mapping the transmission of ideas among makers and across generations. So I'm really excited for that. I think, you know, the the Reading Women project really yield the most incredible reading list for me. Yeah. And I think I'm just really excited to see that expand and 
and also kind of collapse on itself a bit that there's this intergenerational experience is something that it's not so hierarchical like that there is kind of like this really incredible cross-referencing that I think will emerge the more this project continues that's so great and I love how truly rhizomatic the project is Mm -hmm. and it really to me reflects sort of a very contemporary sensation of time and how the way we're so networked how social media is an extension of ourselves in in a different way and we're, we're connected and I find that it's so much more about networks and rhizomes and in nodes and moments of things rising up and I think that this project feels very contemporary in in that sense and is very rhizomatic and and scientific too so you're you're following these leads mm. to their natural and logical conclusions <laughs> yeah. so you know okay so now Lucy Lepard has been read by one of my sitters then I'll see what she reads and then you know and then mm. there's this beautiful infinite trajectory that mm. sort of unravels which I think is exciting and mm. will be exciting to see come to fruition Thank you. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for joining us.